Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. And good morning, it's Annie for Showreel, which is our little look at uh, the Australian film industry at 3CR. Of course, you're on 3CR. Uh, today, we're going to go back a little bit to an interview I did with Sandra Perez. Uh, she did a film called The Dell Frame a dispute 1932 which you will, will probably realize is the dispute uh, that lives in um, working class history about the uh, withdrawal of labor uh, in order to stop the sending of a uh, pig iron to Japan in its early phases of its uh, war against China now um, it's the uh, time the event that uh, labeled uh, uh, Menzies, Pig Eye and Bob, uh, and this, this, these kind of things live in uh, the general memory of uh, Australian working class history. Now, Sandra works in a company called Y Documentaries, which is in New South Wales, and it uh, has a strong... Uh, connection to making documentaries about working class history. Uh, if you want to follow up the uh, Delfram dispute, it's uh, scheduled to be uh, launched this month and that's why I thought I would uh, promote it again by having a bit of a conversation with Sandra again. But um, if you want more information about her uh, uh, film uh, studios, as well as uh, how you might follow up uh, some of the productions, you know, uh, ordering a DVD or uh, having a screening, that sort of thing. You should go on to Y Documentaries on uh, the Google search. But let's we'll start off with our little chat with Sandra. Now, uh, you've just uh, uh, had your first showing of the Delfram Dispute 1938, Big Eye and Bob, to your sponsors. It's been a long road, hasn't it? It definitely has. It's been about, it's almost four years since we started on the journey. So you, how did you get your sponsors for this particular production? Um, obviously, this, the story has a number of different, I guess, stakeholders, people who are interested in the story, people who have been touched by the story and people whose story it is. The first story, the first um, group of people whose story it is, is the poor Kembla workers and their families, and that's devoid of any political party and or union we're talking about regular families who stopped work for 11 weeks to try and stop war materials going to japan so they're our first people the second lot of people were 
the unions. It was the Waterside Workers Federation at that time. Uh, it was run by Ted Roach, who was the leader at the time, who was a Communist Party member. So they're our second lot of people. And then the third people whose this story belongs to are the people from China who were suffering at the hands of the, the Japanese aggressors at that time. So we were lucky and fortunate enough to be able to get sponsors from each of those people. So we're talking about Port Kimbler uh, businesses um, and local organisations in Wollongong, the uh, Maritime Union of Australia, as well as some Chinese organisations who have all come on board to sponsor the, the film. Oh, that's interesting. Did you? Does that mean that it's subtitled? The film is subtitled. Yes. Yeah. It is. Right. So yep. you're expecting to uh, show it in China. We definitely are expecting to show it. So we hope to launch over there in September, October next year. And, and that... we're hoping a broadcaster of China will pick up the documentary too. Oh, how fascinating! And so it's a, that's a really interesting collaboration, isn't it? It's been fantastic. So earlier in the year, we went to China. Um, and we interviewed people who were survivors of the Nanjing Massacre. Um, there's only about 200 people left who remember that incident or were part of that incident directly. Um, and that was the basis of the strike, which, which led to the Dalfram dispute and ultimately the nickname Pig Eye and Bob. So it's all interconnected, and we interviewed these people. And I, I've got to tell you that those stories were harrowing. Yeah, no, it, it's actually uh, an incredibly disturbing part of history, which uh, in uh, lots of ways has been uh, expunged from many Western history books. Unfortunately, I think that we don't know enough about that history. And um, I guess there's two points I'd like to make. One, that no sponsor had any editorial control over the documentary, nor was any asked for from any of the sponsors. So I've got to say a big thanks to everybody because it's an independent film. Um, and I guess the, the second point is that, yes, that story is important to tell. Now, you, you, you're, you're obviously part of Why Documentaries, so let me ask you why this documentary? What, what, yeah, what was it question, about it? Look, it really is a question that I've struggled with myself. I've, um, we are why documentaries because we, we do aim to question everything and we, we aim to find facts and then the aim is to share that with the world. And we're talking an international audience, especially with online. Um, for us, I think the thing that really got me was when I found out that the families went 11 weeks without pay and that, I think, is the driving force behind this. I don't think we could do that today. I don't think we could do 11 weeks out of work for something that was happening on the other side of the world. And I think the men should be commended. I think that history has been largely erased, and I think we've linked that to the Pig Iron Bob nickname, and it needs to move away from that. It needs to be, mo to be moved away. It wasn't an anti-Menzies or a political statement at the time, it was a heroic struggle, and in my books, it's bigger than Eureka. Now tell me, I mean, if we go back to 1938, I know it was a, actually quite a, uh, a volatile period of history. It was just before the Second World War, uh, our entry into the Second World War, and uh, obviously uh, there was, in some ways, a lot of uh, connection to the outside world, but also, in a way, uh, parts of Australia were quite isolated. How did uh, the people there 
how did it enter their imagination that they needed to make a stand? I think a lot of this story really, um, I think we don't understand how much of an influence Ted Roach did, who was the leader at the time. Um, Ted Roach was somebody who the man looked up to, someone who had a belief in the International Brotherhood, somebody who, you know, walked the walk and talked the talk, somebody who, you know, really believed in what he was doing. And I think his unwavering support for what what was being done um, was contagious. I think that the men really did believe in him and the ideals. I know that, uh, and I've talked to locals, um, I know that it was known about at that time, so it was in the papers, it was in the cinemas, talking about the newsreels just before you watched a movie, talked about Japan's invasion of China. And we had the Chinese community in Sydney sending truckloads, if you can imagine, truckloads of fruit and vegetables to the striking wharfies, thanking them for what they were doing. So we know that people believed in it, and I think only in Port Kembla could this have happened because this is a community that's that's gone through a lot um, down here in Wollongong, and we did the history of the coal mining history down here. So we had two of Australia's largest industrial disasters. The, the, the community knows how to stick together, and they they knew they knew how to to make it happen. And I don't think it could have. And it didn't. It did. It, you know, this the people tried to make this happen all over the world. So we had actions all through. We had actions in Bombay, Canada, UK, America, all through Australia, Sydney, and Melbourne, um, and other places. And they lasted three or four days, or one to two weeks. Paul Kembla went eleven weeks without pay to try and make a stand. And I think we should all remember them. Now, it's really interesting. I've recently come back from China and I was reading the English uh, Chinese uh, newspapers and uh, it was interesting that there was actually a feature article about uh, some Chinese journalists who happened to be uh, studying in uh, England, London, and it took their fancy to go back and look at the coverage of uh, the Japanese incursion into China and how it was portrayed in the main newspapers over there at the time. Mm-hmm. And what they found was quite extraordinary to them that uh, the way the Japanese were portrayed, and, and they had actually employed an American journalist as a press officer, which is sort of fascinating for the time, because often people think this is a new concept, which actually promoted the Japanese as being a a force for the new and that China was a barbaric, backward uh, group of people. And that was what was going on in the mainstream media. It's quite clear that the Port Kembla people and the other people who took actions, the working class, had a different view. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Look, it's there's lots of different things going on at this time. I think in general, people were worried about they were worried about fascism and they were worried about communism coming into democratic countries, um, whatever they were. And I think that they saw um, Japan um, leading a barrier against anti that that were anti-communist. So there wasn't a, a policy of appeasement with Japan for a really long time, even as these reports of genocides were coming through. But they were uneasy about it. And I, I think that um, 
I think, yeah, if you if you look at that, I think Menzies would have been uneasy about it as well. I think I, you know, at the time, iron ore was stopped to Japan because they could see the threat, but not pig iron. Um, pig iron fetched a higher profit, so there's a lot of issues around that as well. But um, the Labor government also said that they would make the men load the ships. So it's, you know, it was a testing time. So all I can say is we need to move it away. We need to move this story away from an anti-Menzies story. It really is that heroic struggle that these people believed they were doing the right thing. And they went 11 weeks. And I can't see anyone doing that today, which is 11 weeks with no pay coming into your household when they're just coming out of the Depression. So, so, so there's lots of issues. Yeah, lots of issues. And so when you were making this film, you were telling the story through some personalities, characters? Yes, of course. So, yeah, we've got the um, one person in particular, Mr Keith Elliott. He's um, the son of one of the, of the last survivor of the men who were um, protesting against the pig iron. And his grandmother... Um, was Ma Croft, and she's the woman who screamed out Pig Iron Bob for the very first time. So <laughs> we have a celebrity, yeah. yeah. And I was actually going to say that uh, it was obviously not just the men, it must have been the families. Of course it was, and I think the women are often um, ignored, but if the women had told their men to go back to work, I think the men would have had no choice. So we're talking about everybody united in something they believed in. And I think that's, like I said before, I think it's bigger than Eureka. So the thing is that uh, you've got uh, the families, but also all the support mechanisms within Port Kembla must have also had an attitude towards supporting them in some way. Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. You had the butchers, um, you know, giving out tick. You had the bakers, buy one, get one free. You had um, free entry for wharfies at the cinemas once a week. You had dancers. You had people scouting pubs. You had men rabbiting and fishing. Um, everyone had to come together. So, yeah, it's definitely, a, you know, it's the trademark of this area, I think, and it comes from a long history of working-class um, battles. Now, the uh, union organiser that you mentioned, he must have been an extremely charismatic fellow. Ah, Ted Roach, yes. Everybody that I've met that can talk about Ted Roach and I'm I feel like he's um he's over my shoulder when I've been working, so I think he must have been an extraordinary person. Um he uh one man says it um well and that was and he's passed away so I've got it from his oral history, but he had a flame that never burnt out. So we're talking about someone who's highly political right into his eighties, right until his deathbed. Um, someone who wanted better conditions for workers all his life, and that's what he worked towards. Now, tell me, uh, the uh, making of this documentary, uh, you said it's taken four years, and obviously there was a lot of plotting and planning involved and a lot of research. Uh, How did you create the narrative? Did you uh, do it uh, using... um, uh, uh, how did you do it? How did you do it? Have you got uh, historical footage or what? Uh, yeah, we've got footage. Um, we even have footage of the ship called the Dalfram. So um, there's lots of archives, um, footage, photos. Um, we found family members. We found um, unpublished biographies. We found some amazing um, original content. Um, and we've done drama reenactments. So... 
the the scene where Menzies comes to Wollongong. It's one of the biggest protests ever on the South Coast, and we had 100 men and women turn up completely dressed in 1930s garb, ready to protest. And it was one of the most emotional days I think I've ever had because I just couldn't believe that support that was there for telling that story on behalf of the families of that time. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. Waging Peace. The latest film from legendary Australian filmmaker David Bradbury. Shot at the Canberra 2014 Peace Convergence. Waging Peace will be screening at the Nova Cinema, including Q&A with Bradbury, Thursday, March the 19th at 6pm. Bookings, trybooking.com. Waging Peace, March 19th, 6pm at Nova Cinema. A Wacker event. Wacker is a 3CR supporter. You're on uh, Showreel with Annie. It's uh, 3CR. Yeah, that Waging Peace film, it's on tonight. So if you're uh, thinking of going out there to the Nova, it's 6pm. They'll be happy to see you. We're going to... At the moment, we're listening to a chat I had with Sanja Perez, who has made the Delfram Dispute 1932 film, which is uh, scheduled to uh, have its premiere this month. Uh, Sandra's from Y Documentaries. Now, the Delfram Dispute is, of course, uh, uh, around the uh, Port Kembla 11-week strike that's famous in working-class history, around the uh, stopping of uh, exporting of pig iron to Japan during the uh, uh, oh, uh, the aftermath of the Nanjing massacre. Let's continue with our last piece of chat with Sandra. So th- this story lives in the memory. I mean, it's a grand story of Port Kembla, right? Well, yeah, it is. It's a story that I think um, Port Kembla and Wollongong should be really, really proud of. But not just that, I think Australia should be really proud of this story. Um, these are people that went out at great personal cost about what was happening on the other side of the world, um, firstly, and then the worry that Japan was coming south and we didn't want these bullets and bombs coming against our children. Um, it's something we don't know enough about. I question why that is, um, but I do think that it's something we should celebrate as all Australians. doesn't matter what your political persuasion. As I said, more than 70% of those men weren't a political party member, they were just regular families doing it tough. So, you know. So you have a commitment to making uh, films that are focused on working-class struggle. Would that be fair? Um, My passion is history and multicultural projects, and this project really encompassed both of those. So we're seeing a positive multicultural story between Australia and China, and we're seeing history. I come from a working-class background, so I can also see the struggles that I see with people working seven days a week or people working with their bodies when they 
when, which they did, you know, even 20 years ago, you could really see that. I think things have changed a lot. I just don't think we should um, forget that past. Do you? Uh, ha- where is it going to go? Like uh, the local uh, launch is scheduled for March the 21st. Where is it going to be at? So the launch on the 21st of March is at the Wollongong Town Hall and we expect 800 people to come to that. And from there, we'll be approaching broadcasters, so we're still in the midst of that, as well as all the film festivals and, of course, China and film festivals in China. Um, Apart from that, the DVD will be for sale and we will go to every capital city to show the film. So uh, the film festivals, which festivals are you targeting? Um, We're going to apply for as many festivals as we can possibly afford. So we're still looking for sponsors to help us with the marketing and distribution of the documentary and to get it out into schools. So I don't know if your listeners are out there, but if um, anyone wants a sponsor, they can get in touch with us. So how do they do that? Oh, they can um, look up Pig Eye and Bob on Facebook and get in touch that way, or they can um, call Why Documentaries. Okay. Now, uh, the... uh the documentary itself is, how long is it? Um, so it looks like it's going to be almost 70 minutes at this stage. <laughs> okay, so when you had that sponsor's screening, did, was there feedback? We showed, yeah, go We on. showed 35 minutes and most of the audience was in tears. Oh, right, because it was so emotional. It's very emotional. Yeah, right. Okay, you must have been happy to have been able to inspire that kind of reaction. I was actually a little bit sad, like it was um, an eye-opener for me. I mean, I can see what the story is, but then when I see people that came, I had a lady from China who came to me and said, I didn't know about that history in her own her own country, oh. as in the Nanjing oh. Massacre and what happened and the extent oh. of that. There was 300,000 people killed in six weeks. So, so to get that kind of response, yeah, I was happy about that. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I know that in mainland China... There is an at the moment uh, they are doing uh, a year long uh, commemorations of um, the Nanking massacre, uh, and uh, it's on their uh, local news uh, quite a, a considerable amount of time, and it's in their local papers. So obviously, uh, it's of uh, importance to them. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I think um, with the civil war in China, that history wasn't able to come out until much later. Um, but I'd probably consider that massacre in the top ten of our global history of massacres. Unfortunately, I think it was um, it was terrible. I mean, Nanjing was the capital of China, and I think that at that time to overcome the capital of China would have seen would have been you know quite a big achievement at that time um so it was done in a way that was quite brutal um we're talking 300,000 people in six weeks killed um and some of the stories we captured from the survivors i think will really show the fear and the the um and the horror that some of the the people went through and in a sense there's lessons in this film isn't there for modern day this film is above all an anti-war film. That's the only message that I hope people take away um, as the main message because I would hate for this film to be used for any divisiveness or 
Australians versus Australians or political parties versus political parties or countries versus countries. Um, the film basically is aiming to capture that history so we know more about it, but it is an anti-war film. So the um, actual uh, film itself, well, you did you take any um, comments from people that was going to help you in shaping the film itself? Was there anything in it that from their responses that was able to help you as a filmmaker? Do you mean at the soft launch or...? Yeah, at the soft throughout? launch. I mean, in the sense... I mean, yeah. Well, well, how did you get... Did you get... Uh, I mean, editing something is... Uh, I mean, collecting the information, doing, uh, deciding how you're going to shape the information is very hard work to have it uh, reach a point where you've got audience crying after 35 minutes. How did you do that? Oh, I don't think I had to do much at all. That was the, um, luckily we went to China. We, you know, people believed in the film and they sponsored that to that point. We had a good crowdfunding and we had tickets to a dinner and enough support was there for us to go to China and capture that history. I think once you hear those stories, you can't help but cry. I mean, these are people's recollections of what they saw, seeing their parents get killed or mm. other people get killed and, and how they remember it and the fear. Um, yeah, I didn't have to do much about that. I mean, we did drama reenactments so that people visually could sense what was happening and I guess that, you know, for me, Ted Roach was able to see that that was what was happening and I see him as a bit of a visionary. Uh, we interviewed his daughter for the documentary and we also interviewed Bob Menzies' daughter for the documentary. So hmm. we have a, a well-rounded view of that history and um, I can't get away from the fact that was an amazing part of history that is of international significance. Thanks very much for telling us about this and uh, just tell people again how they can uh, contribute if uh, they want to sponsor. How do they get in contact? The best way is to go to Pig Iron Bob on Facebook and to buy a ticket to the launch if they can come or they want to come or want to give it away as Christmas presents. Stay in touch because the DVD will be available soon for pre-purchase. Um, and if they do want to be a sponsor, if there's an organisation out there that understands the, the historical significance, contact us directly, either just private message on Facebook or at whydocumentaries.com.au, and that's whydocumentaries.com.au. Thanks, Sandra, for talking to me. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Three CR Breakfast Radio meets the people. So come along to 3CR's Sustainable Breakfast Series, broadcast live from Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. Join us for breakfast tasties at Friends of the Earth Cafe, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood, or tune in to 3CR to hear what people are doing in the area of sustainability. From Monday, March 23rd to Friday, March 27th, starts at 7am and goes through till 8.30am. So if you're down on Smith Street any of the mornings, come down, watch a live show. Every show will have a musician and it's a fantastic initiative by 3CR and Friends of the Earth. Supported by Yarra Council. That's it for, uh, that's it for uh, Showreel this week. And 
I just had a, a thought a moment then. I thought nothing was happening. <laughs> it could be the cold that's in my head. Anyway, uh, published or not is coming up next, and don't forget Solidarity Breakfast, uh, Sustainable Breakfast, um, next week. Um, they'd love to see you down there. Come and have a free breakfast, or and have a listen to uh, and be part of a live broadcast. Uh, I will go out with a um, oh, a bit of bang bang just because I like it. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.